I'm Bill Radke. This is Subtext, What Goes Unsaid. You love your legs, you love your arms, you love your butt, whatever you love. You talk to your tush and you say, you're amazing, you're glorious, you're rubbing it. This trend of body positivity is rubbing some people the wrong way. We're saying nice things about our body, but what is the subtext? What are people hearing that's not being said out loud? Hannah Safely is a 21-year-old University of Washington student. She's heard the message from celebrities and on social media. Body positivity, love yourself. But to her, the subtext is, you should be in love with your body all the time, even when it doesn't love you back. There are lots of ways our bodies don't seem to be on our side. Hannah told me her story of body positivity, cancer, and what goes unsaid. I was in Seattle recovering from a bone marrow transplant. This was in like April of 2020, so about a month after COVID kind of spread in Seattle. And I remember thinking like, ah, COVID, like it's no big deal. Like I had just gone through cancer treatment. I'm like, COVID's not gonna be so crazy. And then by the time I got home in like April of 2020, I realized just how intense it was. We were getting all the news, people dying. My doctors were calling me to tell me to be extra careful since I was immunocompromised. And it became a scary time because if I had contracted it, it would most likely have been a death sentence because I did not have anything in my body to fight it off. A death sentence. What did you do with that knowledge? How did you act? I didn't act too weird because I'd kind of been given a death sentence like a year prior um, with the diagnosis of secondary acute myeloid leukemia. I will never forget the first, what I call like the round table meeting. It was with like the doctors and nutritionists and social workers. It was just like a big table of all professionals. And I was sitting there with my mom and dad. And, you know, we were talking about the cancer, like what the gene mutation was and just how real it was and what I was gonna need to do to fight the cancer. And I don't think my parents are ready for me to ask this question, but I I asked the doctors, I said, so what are my chances? Like percentage wise, I, I want to hear the numbers. And they said, you'll have like a 30% chance of living. And I stood up and walked out of the room and broke down in the hall of the of Seattle Children's inpatient floor. There wasn't good chances that I was going to live. It was, it was rocky, it was life-changing. How were you feeling about your body? My first cancer treatment did not really affect my body too much. Um, my face got bloated from steroids, but it quickly went away after I went off of them. But my second cancer, I had quite a few complications, which caused me to gain a significant amount of weight in a short period of time and then all, and then also drop it in a very significantly small amount of time. Um, so that led me to have stretch marks all over my body that what I would describe as someone who had just given birth, you know, like those kind of stretch marks. I had them on my stomach, my hips, my sides, behind my knees on my feet and I felt very self-conscious about them. I didn't want people to see them. Another thing is I had to get um, stomach shots for blood clots 
And so my entire stomach was full of bruises. And when I got home, it was about to be summertime. And I didn't want to wear a bathing suit. I didn't want people to see what was going on. Um, I was just very, very insecure about it. How aware were you of this body positivity movement and messages and products and ads? became noticeable on social media i you know following celebrities and the ads and it got me to like only focusing on like what i can do to fix it to make myself look beautiful to make myself look like these celebrities are talking about can you say more about that yeah. do you remember an ad that you're thinking of and, and what it how it affected you i can't think of it as, like a specific ad but i would see ads about like women and their stretch marks like or like on their face and facial marks and I was like what products could I use to get rid of mine what can I do to lose some weight should I start working out except on the other hand I had lost a lot of muscle mass and so I'm like okay so what do I need to do it, it confused me on what I should do to take steps and what products I should buy to fix myself and so I would be like I would scroll I'd do research on google like Really, my stretch marks were the big thing. What would help with my stretch marks? Would medication work? Would topical creams work? Um, and they're all very expensive. And so I was like, I'm not going to do that. And so at some point, I was just kind of like, well, I guess this is my body. But I wasn't, I wasn't happy with it. I think of the body positivity movement as saying, you're beautiful no matter what. Why didn't the message come to you that way? Like, oh, I, it doesn't matter what I look like. My body is, I, I, I feel positive about me just as I am. I mean, teenage girls are insecure about their bodies, even with all of this publicity on body positivity. And it's not helping. Um, I was in a really dark place in the hospital when I was just mad at my body for everything, I guess. Um, I was crying in my bed and... My child life specialist, Lindsay, came in and she kneeled down in front of me and just told me, let it all out. You can say whatever you need. I'm just going to be here with you. And I was probably being, I was quite loudly <laughs> bawling, um, kind of being like, why is my body creating cancer? Why did this happen not one time, but two how can I love my body when it's trying to kill me? And she just sat there and listened. And she didn't say, you should love your body for, like, fighting off the cancer. But it gave me cancer. But she just sat there and she listened and she validated my feelings. And that's kind of when the turn came in my mind that I was like, I don't have to love my body. But I also shouldn't hate it, if that makes sense. That kind of leads to the whole idea of body neutrality. I don't hate my body. Now, I can be mad at it for many things um, when, when those cells come up, when I have the scares of relapsing. But I don't hate it because it's, for the most part, it's doing its job, right? I am able to walk from class and I'm able to get groceries. I am able to do daily tasks. I'm able to do what I need to do. And I'm okay with that. I'm okay with the negatives. I'm okay with the positives. But I'm just okay with it. 
Would you say that a body positivity message sometimes made you feel worse? Yeah, for sure. Some people might think body positivity, joyful, body neutrality, eh. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I can see that. I mean, it's, it, it's like, well, the thing about body positivity is it doesn't really include like transgender people. They are not happy with their body and they want to change it. Body neutrality is kind of like, well, this is my body. It's kind of what I came with. It doesn't determine my worth. It doesn't determine who I am on the inside. I mean, your body is really only a minicule part of you. You have your soul. You have your, like, your heart. You have things that are going on inside. And for disabled people, they have bodies that sometimes they're stuck in. And they have bodies that maybe not don't do the things they want them to do. But if you can have a more neutral point of view about it, you can be like, well, this is the body, but I am so much more. A lot of messages, we think, that's a, that's a great point of view. I'm going to try to adopt that mindset. Mm-hmm. I could imagine someone then trying to be body neutral, but I don't feel neutral. I've got mm-hmm. strong feelings, and I'm and am I not being neutral enough? Yeah. I, if being positive about yourself, if that works for you, do it. But if it's not working for you, try out body neutrality. Any advice for how somebody starts to work with that? Recently, I've started creating um, a gratefulness journal. And at the end of the day, I'll write down five things I was grateful for in the day. None of them have to do with my body. Not a single one. Everything has to do with my social interactions, how how I felt as a human being, what I did with my friends. None of them had to do with my body. So I think kind of changing your mindset to focus more on your mental health than what you physically look like can change your mindset dramatically. That's Hannah Safely. She's doing early childhood and family studies at the University of Washington. So for Hannah, the subtext of the body positivity message is love your body whether you feel like it or not. Obsess about your body. And she's trying to get past that, past obsession to acceptance, a more neutral peace of mind. I interviewed Hannah because that idea that we have another option besides obsession or revulsion, positive or negative, that's important. I have struggled a little with body image myself. I have owned multiple bench presses. One time I was doing squats with a big barbell, lifting too much so that I would get muscly, and I stumbled forward. I drove my knee right through the body of a classic bass guitar that my boss had very reluctantly lent me. And also, I did did not get muscly. So I have some experience here, but I realize I'm not the most important, impacted voice here. Like Hannah said, body image hits some people harder than others. So I asked her if she would talk more about body positivity without me, and I introduced her to Olaya Land. Olaya is a certified pleasure and empowerment coach in Seattle. She's biracial, black and white, 47 years old, and she hosts a podcast called Lioness. Here are Hannah and Olaya talking about body image and what goes unsaid. What was your reaction to my conversation with Bill about body neutrality? 
I thought it was really great. I learned some things. It gave me some fresh perspectives because I do advocate for body love. I don't like to use the words body positivity because I feel like they've really been co-opted by like capitalism. And so you really gave me some fresh perspectives about what it can feel like to, to, you know, to be angry with your body. And then the other thing I loved about your conversation was that you called out explicitly other people who could potentially struggle with body positivity, trans people, people with disabilities. And then I would also add to that, a lot of people have trouble extending that to people in very large bodies. Yes. So also older people. So I Mm -hmm. am 47 and, you know, especially for women, older women, society really sends the message that your body is not okay. And then also um, people of color, basically anybody who's like two or three steps outside of societal norms, I think can really have a hard time accessing body positivity. Absolutely. And I liked how you were talking about body love instead of body positivity, because there are times when I do want to love my body. Yeah, totally. And I think... um, for me, body love isn't about feeling like I look amazing mm-hmm. 24-7. That is definitely, definitely not the case. <laughs> For me, body body love is knowing that my body is good even yeah. when I don't feel good. Like appreciating the things that my body can do for me, appreciating, mm-hmm. especially coming out of the pandemic, just the mm-hmm. fact that like I'm alive, like my body does, yeah. do, my heart is beating like constantly, I'm breathing all the time. So yeah. for me, that's what body love is about. Sometimes I do think I look great and that feels nice, but but yeah. for me, body love is just knowing that I'm okay. I don't have to fit into those yeah. societal standards. Yeah. I was actually journaling about this yesterday. Um, And the prompt was, how do you feel about your body? How do you feel from it now and three years ago when you were diagnosed? And now I have like a a mixed relationship. Like I have these stretch marks that came from Mm -hmm. losing or gaining and losing weight in a very small amount of time. And I look at them now and sometimes I'm like, well, I love you because you did the, you did the thing. Like you opened up, you made my body bigger because it needed to be bigger in that moment and then you Mm -hmm. got back to like a smaller form um and same with like my scars I look at them and I'm like my body went through that like my body Mm -hmm. went through all of that and I'm still here today and I love my body for that and I think that that's like a thing that people don't really talk about I think like you know with the theme of this being kind of like what goes unsaid I think Mm -hmm. a lot of the body positivity movement just it just like glosses and collapses like a lot of the mm-hmm. complexity or a lot of the actual connection to our body. It's just like, yay, everybody's a bikini body. <laughs> and well, I want people to feel great. Like it's my dream. I would love for everybody, especially women who I think bear mm-hmm. the brunt of this to feel great in a bikini, feel great in a crop top, like whatever you want to wear, do it, go for it. But also I, I, I just think there's a lot more room for exploring this in a real way. And that's part of what I appreciated about your story and your conversation with Bill was that it really kind of lays that out, like what that can Mm -hmm. look like, why it's important to not just have this like super simplistic body positivity movement, because it can be harmful. I think, I think you pointed out how there was a a time when you were really, really struggling because like Mm -hmm. you had gained weight and you were uncomfortable in your body because society tells you, you know, to be uncomfortable in your body if you gain weight. And then if you can't lose that weight for whatever reason, then you just feel awful. And I've had that same experience, like not Mm -hmm. 
um, because of an illness or anything, but I had a multi-decade eating disorder. So Mm -hmm. my story is a little bit that I, so I'm biracial and I grew up in a white community in the Midwest, Mm -hmm. a very small town, 1500 people, very conservative. And I think as a little kid, I just knew like, oh, I'm the only person who's different here. And so I just felt this pressure to like look a certain way, be a certain way, be palatable and make sure I always fit in. I was like obsessed with fitting in when I was younger. Mm-hmm. And for me, that led to an eating disorder. But my body just isn't meant to be tiny. I've come to terms <laughs> with that now. Like, genetically, like I carry a lot of muscle. I like to mm-hmm. play tennis. I like to do sports. And there was a time when I was trying and trying and trying like on, I've done so many diets, all of the diets. Oh, all the diets. I get you on that one. <laughs> and there was a time when I was trying to really like come down to this. Well, basically I was trying to fit into the top of the BMI um, mm-hmm. so that I wouldn't be considered quote unquote overweight, which is a term that I think is problematic. And it was, it was super traumatic for me, like trying to get in this space and then also feeling like, why can't I just be okay with myself? Like, why is there such a battle with my body? So I think that body positivity can kind of be actually folded into diet culture sometimes. Mm -hmm. As a teenager, you know, scrolling through Instagram, I'm seeing all these celebrities, you know, Mm -hmm. like praising body positivity, but never once in their post was like, or you could do this, you know? That gets me like, like celebrities talking about like, I mean, again, I want everybody to love their body, feel good at home in their body, even celebrities. But mm-hmm. like, don't let's not pretend that you don't look amazing and have a team of people to cook for you and help you work out and have amazing yeah. skin. And yes. like, I don't, I don't want to hear from cele- personally. I don't want to hear from celebrity. I'm like, don't, don't even talk to me about body positivity because you're living in some other world that the rest of us don't live in. So that one like really gets under my skin. Yeah, I agree. It just like even prior to my second cancer diagnosis. You know, I was doing great. I was healthy. Um, but the thing that kept in the back of my mind was that my BMI was considered overweight. Mm-hmm. And that had always just stuck with me. And so for my entire like 18 or 17, 18, you know, years um, of my life, I was doing the diets, trying everything. I was working out a lot. Um, and still was never enough. And then I got diagnosed with cancer. And after having like all these like feelings of disappointment and not reaching that perfection, I was then Mm -hmm. disappointed with the opposite. Now my body's like really not doing perfect things. We all have such different and crazy, good, weird relationships with our own bodies. And Mm -hmm. I think it really is different from one person to the other. Like a fingerprint is to everyone. Like it's unique. There is no one two step guide for anyone. I want to like give you a megaphone and go out and yell that <laughs> in the streets, which is that like bodies are like fingerprints. Like everyone is mm-hmm. different. And I wish I had had that when your age, when I was your age. I am actually sometimes jealous of younger people because <laughs> the messaging that I got was atrocious, Hannah. It was horrible oh. around like, you know, I was a teenager in the 90s and. Oh, man. That was heroin chic was the prevailing aesthetic, you know, Kate Moss. And like, when I even think about that, it's so toxic. Like we had like the the aesthetic was called hair. You were supposed to look like you were strung out on heroin. Like how horrible is that? But, and that was so far from my body type. And I just wish that I had had somebody talking 
about body positivity, body love, but especially body neutrality, because at that age, Mm -hmm. body love would not have been accessible to me at all. I was Mm -hmm. so, I had such a contentious relationship with my body. I had a lot of self-hatred, like, you know, for me, it was internalized racism that I've worked hard to like unearth and get rid of, but also um, just not fitting into the prevailing aesthetic. And I wish somebody Mm -hmm. had had shown me or talked to me about body neutrality, that would have been a huge help to me Mm -hmm. at that age because body positivity or full on body love would have felt unthinkable, I think. Mm -hmm. For years prior to my second diagnosis, um, my BMI was considered on the overweight side. Even though Mm -hmm. I looked, I I look back now and I looked healthy. And of course, you you can't tell your three years ago mind like you are beautiful um, mm-hmm. like just the way you are, but you know, I was going through things. Um, and I was just so fixated on that BMI and I was working out. I could just not get my body weight down. It's like, this is where my, it's like my body was very comfortable in what was sitting on my body. Mm-hmm. Like it felt good. Mm-hmm. And in hindsight, I was doing good. I mean, I could jog, I could walk, mm-hmm. you know, I could do all the things. Um, and so for years, it was always like, okay, Anna, you need to lose a little more weight, get that BMI in check. And I'm like, okay, okay. And then I got, you know, diagnosed and they're like, okay, you need to not lose any weight at all. And I'm like, were you telling me to lose weight like, like last month? Yeah, yeah. Like, okay. So now it's a full 180 flip. And they're like, yeah, well, if you lose too much weight, you'll get a feeding tube. And I'm like, uh, uh-uh. as long as we're talking about things that aren't discussed enough. BMI is ridiculous. Like most people don't know the history of BMI and without going into it fully, but it was just, it was invented by a statistician um, in Belgium in, and it, then it was, it was picked up by insurance companies as a means of setting insurance policies. And it wasn't standardized for a long time. And then it worked its way into the medical profession. It's not based on science. It doesn't take into account the fact that, for example, black people are healthier at a higher BMI Asian people are healthier at a lower BMI, for example. And then also just variations within genetic variations within individual people just across the spectrum. So BMI is ridiculous. And the fact that it's still being used, I wish that were talked about more as well. I wish so too. That is something that does not get talked about enough. I started like IV nutrition during my transplant. So I ended up gaining a lot of water weight at one point. They gave me medication to get all all those fluids and I had lost like 30 pounds. And then what was mm-hmm. left is like the skeleton of me and mm-hmm. these stretch marks that are everywhere that look like I had just gained a ton of weight. But it was like, I. but at this point I had lost so much muscle mass. I looked like a stick pin. And mm-hmm. I remember be, feeling so weak and kind of thinking, I'm like, you know, this is the size that I used to, like dream about to look into my into the Mm. mirror like I was Mm -hmm. very 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 skinny my legs are skinny my Mm -hmm. thighs were skinny but I was not healthy whatsoever I could not get up off the ground if I were to fall Mm. at that point yeah you know and it's taken me the past three years to like finally work up my muscle mass to finally gain some weight which that's Mm -hmm difficult too. I'm like seeing my weight go up, but I'm like, okay, I have to like change my mindset and be like, this is a good thing. This is a good thing. Mm -hmm. Cause Mm -hmm. I was not healthy before, Mm -hmm. but my entire life I've been told to not think that. I know, but Hannah, like, as you're telling me this story, like how messed up is that? Like it was so so messed up. (laughs) 
like you I mean and you know it but like that you were like okay this is you were at a weight that was deemed like ideal or whatever according to BMI or societal standards and you clearly were not healthy but then and so you knew that you know like you've recovered you're recovering you need to gain the weight but even then you're still it's still we still have those thoughts of like oh well not too much weight or oh this is uncomfortable like we're so yes. conditioned to feel like gaining weight is like a fate worse than death and it's yeah it's your example makes it so clear that that is not true. <laughs> All of this makes me feel like what's really needed is like an expansion of the definition of health that mm. isn't yes. just based on like nice, neat numbers and a chart that really yeah. is about people's well being. And one of the skills I think we don't learn at least in this country, is how to actually mm -hmm. listen to our bodies for like, oh, I'm hungry, I'm going to eat something, or oh, yeah. I'm tired, I should sleep now, or, you know, I feel like I feel better when I move, I'm going to go for a walk. No one knows your body better than yourself. Yes. You know? And this isn't even talking about people who don't, you know, there's people who don't have access to great mm -hmm. nutrition, people yeah. who are working three jobs, people who are you know, taking care of kids with COVID, yeah. like whatever, like our, our circumstances are all different. So I just wish that beauty standards talk about advice about how to eat and how to move were more inclusive and more mm -hmm. realistic about what people's lives and experiences are actually like. That's Olaya Land and Hannah Safely talking about the hidden messages in body positivity and what we don't talk about enough when it comes to our health. That is today's episode of Subtext, What Goes Unsaid. So what else goes unsaid? Tell me what's been unspoken for you and what you did about it. Just drop me an email to bradke at kuow.org, b-r-a-d-k-e at kuow.org and maybe you'll spark a new episode of Subtext. This series is written and hosted by me, Bill Radke, edited by Laurel Morales, sound designed by Hans Twite. Alex Rochester is KUOW's Digital Community Outreach Coordinator. Melissa Takai designed our logo and artwork. Michaela Giannotti is KUOW's Director of Marketing. Brendan Sweeney is Director of New Content. Zeki Hamid directs community engagement for the station. Jennifer Strachan is KUOW's Chief Content Officer. Next time on Subtext, how do you know what's going unsaid? And it's often very hard to see what people are not talking about because guess what? We're so familiar with the situation. A fish can't see water. If we can't see our water, we can't change it. And then our metaphorical fishbowl will get stinky. See you next time.